Um, okay, so let's get this started. So first of all, congratulations on winning EBI four. Um, I guess my first question is: Look, you're obviously a tremendously talented grappler, no matter what. You, you take guys with chokes and arm bars, not just a leg lock guy. But obviously, the, you're making a big name for yourself with the wins and the leg locks. And I guess what I'm wondering is: Is your success again? It's obviously very attributable to your general high level skill, no doubt about it. But can you say that like you're just a rolling indictment of the way in which jiu-jitsu has treated leg locks from heel hooks to toe holds to everything in between that your success is in some ways attributable to the myopia of how jiu-jitsu has viewed leg submissions i absolutely believe that 100 percent um i think that the techniques that john downer taught me in terms of leg locks um i think he was very frustrated with the state of leg locks and grappling for a very long time. And I'm just very lucky that he decided to really open up and start teaching me and Gary the details of his game, which he's been playing. I think, uh, you know, the general jiu community hasn't accepted yet uh, or didn't accept at the time, but they're starting to accept it now and they see the sort of efficacy of the techniques. So, yeah, I do. I like that. They're just escaping indictment on the way they've been training them over the past decade or so. Yeah. Uh, I had a buddy of mine who was a black belt. He told me that he was able to have success at tournaments, let's say in the advanced no-gi division or something, when he was only a purple belt against higher-level belts, even brown and black, because he had a really advanced leg lock game. At what point did it occur to you in competition where you said, hey, wait a second, maybe I can hang with these guys if it wasn't for leg locks. But with the leg locks, I could just steamroll them. Yeah, I think when I was, uh, I think I was a blue or purple belt, I had a match against a guy named Mark Ramos, who is not only a black belt, but he won the ADCC trials twice, I believe. I think he even got an invite this year. Um, yeah, and I submitted him in like 15 seconds with a heel hook. I'm uh, not a very good heel hook, to be honest. So at that point, I sort of realized, huh, oh, there's, to these leg lock things, you know, at the high level of competition, even, you know, like that really solidified my belief in the leg locking system. Uh, how, how many How many years ago was that? Just so I have an understanding of time. All right, let's see. That was probably two or three years ago. It was in the summer. It was at a uh, a grapplers class, World Series of Grappling, I believe. Okay, so um, so here's the question yeah. then. If you're a blue belt or a purple belt, even a world-class one, let's say these guys who, um, with or without the gi, they're just tremendous, there's still this huge breadth of knowledge to acquire from elite schools all over the world. You could move to Atos, you could go to Henzo's, you yeah. could go, right. So, But if you're a leg locker at your level, are, are you the one creating best practices? Like, where do you go at this point to get better except where you already are? John, John Banahan. That, that's exactly it. There's really nowhere else to go, I think, to get this these sort of deep insights into the leg locking game. I mean, I think other people might be doing some interesting stuff here and there. Uh, the Japanese leg lockers have always been very creative. Uh, but in terms of a controlling system that's in line with the jiu-jitsu philosophy of controlling positions before we attempt to attack, I, I don't think there's anything else out there on this level at all, to be honest. And I studied, I studied every instructional, you know, every tape. I watch every, like, locking and grappler. Um, you know, consistently I'm watching tons and tons of tape. 
So, so yeah, there's just nothing, nothing close. Well, so then is what you're doing? Uh, they say everything, uh, everything new is just something old. They reinvented. They say, oh, Eddie Bravo didn't invent the twister. That was something from wrestling, or what, whatever yeah. the case may be. So, are you doing something new, or are you just repopularizing older best practices that got left by the wayside? Yeah, I mean, so here's really the, the, the truth of it in grappling, I think. You're, you're right. Most movements have been done before. You know, are we the first people to figure out that you twist the foot this way and the knee goes? No. You know, I'm sure grappling's been around forever, and people have figured that out many, many times. The real, uh, I think, insights come in the subtle details and modifications of the movements that make them more efficient the setups, the way you control them, the way you integrate them into a game. I think where Eddie Bravo, for instance, needs to be praised is not so much in inventing the wrestler's guillotine, but figuring out a coherent system from the back using uh, what we call back scorpion, he calls a truck, uh, and figuring out that whole coherent game and the setups of the position and how to control and hand fight in the position to get there. That's, you know, where the insight is. Some of the modifications of, of his grips when you know, that's really where the technique is perfected. You know, I, I could put on a, one of the old Gokor instructionals. I think it's like a thousand and one leg locks or something. And in that instructional, you'll see pretty much every leg lock you can imagine. But the details are, are way off on a lot of them. The setups aren't there. There's no insight. He doesn't say, look, these are the three or four key moves that you should focus on for a coherent game. And I think that's really where the sort of insight and innovation comes from. Not so much the vulgar technique itself as the subtle details and how, how we set it up, how we control it. Um, so I think that's really where the innovation is coming from. So if you look at the growth of jiu-jitsu, let's say, let's say since Hoist Gracie in 1993, which I know is an MMA context, but just follow me here, you could say, mm -hmm. you could say two things. Number one, it's way more popular from a breadth standpoint. There are schools all over Manhattan, Southern California. You can you can throw a dart at a map, and you can find a pretty good maybe jujitsu school yeah. almost anywhere in North America, really, right? And it also it's gotten. And I don't, I don't want to get in the sport versus street defense, but you can say that the Meows practice a certain kind of jujitsu that is clearly, uh, for better or worse, an evolutionary step past what Hoist Gracie was using in the octagon. Okay, um, in terms of leg locks. And I know that's a it's a it's a narrower universe. Where can they go from here? Yeah, there, there's still a lot to be done. I think in the leg locking game, uh, a lot of uh, connections with leg locks. You know, moving from upper and lower body submissions, moving from leg locks to the upper body submissions. I think that's a very unexplored area. Uh, I think there's a lot to be gained there. Uh, Gary's actually. Uh, been exploring that even live in competition. You can see him coming up with some very creative solutions to some of the opponents he's faced. Uh, rolling for Kimura's out of leg locks, for example. Um, I think we'll see a lot more of that, uh, sort of transitioning from the legs into upper body controls uh, much more seamlessly. So I think you'll see people, once they start understanding the meta, uh, the, the meta game, so to speak, uh, of leg locks, uh, when they train them correctly, I think they'll expose upper body controls, passes, back kicks, off leg locks. I think that's certainly a direction it'll go. I think we're going to get more and more skilled 
at finding breaking pressures in leg locks. I think the counter leg lock game is people learn and catch up with just sort of the direct attacking leg locks. The counter leg lock game is going to pick up more and more. So I think there's a lot of very uh, interesting things that are going to happen in the leg locking game in particular. Uh, plenty of room to evolve in my opinion. So, but what about the ter- in terms of the community's acceptance of it? Do you feel like your success, Gary's success, and lots of people have been using heel hooks and 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 a, and a more complicated um, uh, leg lock systems? Do you feel like that is slowly beginning to change I- in minds about what should be trained and what things are possible? Uh, absolutely, I think as people see them being used more and more as an effective technique. Uh, people want to train them. They, they see them working at the highest levels, and they say, hey, we, we should learn how to train this. It's an effective submission hold. Um, you know, I think a lot of the myths of the dangers of them are being sort of, uh, you know, debunked as, as people train with them and get more and more, become more and more familiar with them. They realize that they're no more dangerous than an arm bar or any strangulation that we do. You know, if they're applied dangerously and, and without control or knowledge, yeah, they're, they're devastating and can hurt your training partner. But if you're all aware of what's going on, uh, they're no more dangerous than any other joint lock. Um, and feel- I think as people realize that, you know, they'll spread more and more. Sure. I didn't interrupt you. I apologize. Um, do, you, do you feel like were it not for some of these uh, other tournaments and or these what I like to call pro grappling events, Eddie Bravo, Invitational, <clears throat> Pardon me, Metamorphos. I know you haven't competed in Metamorphos, but I'm sort of grouping them uh, in the yeah. same. Yeah. Do you feel like if it weren't for their open rule sets, it would be much harder to convince people about leg locks? Absolutely, absolutely. So then, so then, I, well, then uh, so here's the question: yeah. Then how how do you, do you feel like your participation in these kinds of shows and others as well, like Gary and so forth? Do you feel like that is actually putting legitimate, real world pressure on IBJJF to change? Um. I don't think the IBGF feels too much pressure from any anyone, but uh, I think the jiu-jitsu and grappling community in general is taking note. Um, you know, when you allow heel hooks, it opens up a very, very wide range of controls and submissions uh, that are very exciting and very useful in, in grappling and jiu-jitsu. And, um, yeah, I mean, so I, I don't think they feel necessarily pressure. But these open tournaments are definitely putting on display what, you know, grappling with leg locks looks like. Um, and I think that's a good thing overall for the community. I don't see the IBGF changing their rules at any point to allow heel hooks. Just, you know, I think that would be admitting a, a large error. And I don't see uh, large organizations doing that often. So I, I don't ever see them allowing heel hooks necessarily. I think they should. I think a black belts agree that they should, but I, I don't see them changing those rules. Have have the pro grappling organizations found the right format? And here's what I mean. So Metamorphs has one style, and, and also it's a function of who runs the organization and how the product is presented, and everyone has different tastes and expectations. EBI being another one, and there are many of these. Uh, all over the place, quite, quite honestly. Um, but it feels like everyone is kind of, like Polaris is out there and so forth, and it feels like everyone is kind of sort of tweaking the rule set 
Do you feel comfortable that one organization has found the best one, or do you feel like there's still some room for innovation here to, to really get it in a way where you can convert jiu-jitsu from uh, a participatory sport to a spectator one? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I might say something a little controversial here in the sense that I don't believe jiu-jitsu is going to become a spectator sport the way, say, baseball or football or cricket are. Um, I think it's a very cerebral sport. Uh, it's very intricate. You know, you can even be a black belt and watch a high-level match and not clearly understand the positioning of the grip sequences. Um, I, I think it's more in line with chess in the sense that the few times they've gotten chess on TV, if the match is important enough, people will watch it for that reason. But you're never going to bring the average man who's just, you know, flicking through the channels to be very interested in jiu-jitsu necessarily. I think these rules, these open rule sets are certainly more exciting for these sort of uh, participant who trains jiu-jitsu to watch and learn from. Um, and they're more exciting even to lay people. But I ultimately think that trying to find a rule set that's going to appeal to the average man is, you know, sort of a bit futile. It, it, it's a complicated sport. There's a lot of entanglements that are very detailed. And if you're not an educated fan, you won't understand that. And I think you see that with the UFC a lot. I think people understand the striking a lot more than they understand the grappling. Uh, you'll see your crowds periodically boo when the fight goes to the ground. You know, um, so are these rule formats good and in the right direction? Yeah. I think the Eddie Bravo rule format's terrific. I actually enjoyed training for it. I know the overtime rules were a bit uh, controversial, but, you know, it's the best overtime rule system I think I've seen so far in terms of allowing it to be decided with jiu-jitsu as opposed to wrestling or, or point fighting. You know, you, you just get an opportunity to attack your opponent in vulnerable positions, um, you know, going for the submission. So, um, yeah, and I do like sub-only format, no time limit. But the logistical constraints of that are always very, uh, very challenging. Although I still feel it, it needs to have a place in the grappling world. Just it, it's a very, very pure format. Um, so that, yeah. said, that, that said, though, even if there's a limit to what is reasonably attainable, is there any kind of tweak to a rule set that you'd like to see absent? you know, sub only, no time limit. Is there any other kind of way, if you were putting on a show, to make it at least reasonably palatable to a viewing audience that you would make? Yeah, so so actually the way I would do it would be to, um, first of all, I think, uh, I mean, as someone who just won the Eddie Bravo Invitational, I'm very happy that the winner got all the money, but I think it does discourage everyone else from working for submissions. You know, if you awarded even $500 per submission to everyone in the tournament, I think that would motivate everyone in every individual match to work for a submission. And ultimately, you don't get the big tagline of, you know, 20 grand for the winner. But the truth is, in these tournaments, a lot of guys know, look, they're not going to be able to submit the guy they're going against. If they could just survive, maybe they get to roll the dice over time. 
but if you awarded them a grant for submitting the person, uh, they, they might open up a bit more. Um, on top of that, I've heard like the Glover Lister rule system, where you award points, and it's sort of the first to 15 points, you've got to win by two, you know, so there's no time limit, but you have a point constraint. That's interesting, but I could easily still see, you know, having no time limit, you know, just people stalling each other out. You know, if you get two wrestlers against each other, no one wants to give an inch, and they're just going to circle each other for an hour and a half, which I've seen before in no time limit matches, and it's just, it's awful. <laughs> So, I know I know you don't um, do a lot of competing necessarily in points based tournaments like yeah. RBJJF tournaments, but I I have some ideas about it, and I just want to see what you think about them. If they're trash, by all means, tell me they're trash. Um, yeah. But I'm just sort of curious. So the one I have is that um, if you watch a lot of collegiate wrestling, they're very aggressive with stalling. I points. love collegiate wrestling. That, that's I I couldn't agree more with you on that. Okay, but here's the aggressive my aggressive stalling calls make it interesting. Okay, but here's one one little caveat to that. The number of positions in collegiate wrestling are fairly static. Top and bottom guy gets in there, wraps the elbow and the and the waist, and then they they're off. How would you mm-hmm. really? How could you really have that kind of aggressive anti-stalling calls and penalization in sport jujitsu? Well, here's the real thing, because uh, I, I actually agree with you a hundred percent that stalling calls are make college wrestling so exciting or international wrestling, for that matter. I, I watch a ton of wrestling, and those matches are very exciting, even, even to lay people. Um, the problem is that the referee needs to be aggressive with stalling calls, and the referee needs to be highly educated. To be an international wrestling referee for the Olympic uh, Games, say, I believe there's an intense educational period. Like It's not like you could just show up and be like, oh, all right, I took a two-hour referee course, let me rest. Like, they have to go through a lot of training to become a referee. They're very, very in tune with the sport. And they're tested a lot at the local level before they're elected to the Olympic Committee. So the problem is education of the referees. You're giving a lot of power to the referees. And in a sport like jiu-jitsu, as we can see from the IBGF, that, has, that is a very dangerous thing to do. That the refs are not necessarily trained and educated on the scene. You need jujitsu refereeing or grappling refereeing to become a profession. And, you know, it, because it's hard to tell in jujitsu when someone's stalling. Um, I could be in 50 50 guard and I could be attacking violently. I could also be just clearing my opponent's grips. Uh, who's to say which is which? You need to have a very, very sharp eye to determine that in jujitsu. Um, so I think it ultimately comes down. Educating the referees in, in grappling, and the sports very young. We just don't have a lot of highly trained referees in the sport. Um, Do something like implement aggressive stalling calls. You know that, that that would easily be a mess if you had sort of you know IBGF caliber referees. In, you know, with that kind of power to implement such aggressive stalling calls. Got it. What about this other idea? What about a tech fall? Also borrowed from wrestling. I watched a meow match. I don't know, maybe the Pan Ams or Worlds this past year. I don't really remember. And he was there was three minutes left, and he was up twenty four to four. And so you tell people about it. You say, well, why isn't there a tech fall? And they say, well, he always has a chance at a submission. Okay, I realize that you can get a submission probably a little bit easier um, than a pin. There's only one kind of real pin. I mean, there's setups to the pin, but uh, there's all different yeah. kinds of chokes and whatever. But still, at some point, if you're down twenty four to four. 
for palatability of the tournament's sake and for its efficiency, should there not be a tech fall in jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that's sort of in line with the first X amount of points wins. Um, but yeah, tech fall in jiu-jitsu, I think that's a natural thing. But they, I don't know how many scenarios that covers. It definitely keeps the flow of the tournament uh, moving. You know, if you're up 20 nothing, let's call it. I, I, I can certainly get behind that in a points tournament. Um, but I don't think that happens often enough for it to be, um, you know, relevant. I think the real, you know, there's, there's a few scenarios that are particularly boring that we need to deal with, like someone getting up an advantage or two points and trying to look busy while not actually being busy. You know, um, I think most matches are decided like that. Those are the ones I think we really got to eliminate. Okay. So, Let's talk about MMA for just a moment. Um, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I know you train with some MMA fighters. Um, I don't know how much MMA you watch necessarily, but I guess what I would ask is: Look, leg locks in uh, MMA are effective. We've seen it. Uh, you know the the, the instances of that are uh, innumerable. And you mentioned some legendary Japanese fighters like Masakazu Imanari and and things mm -hmm. like that. We've we've seen the effectiveness, but at the same time, I feel like. Um, they're, 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 I'm not saying I don't know if there's any data to show that they're waning, but I just feel like there's a mentality out now that it says takes two hands to do a heel hook. Basically, uh, that is a disaster for me. I'm not even going to bother with it unless it just unless you find some guy like Ian Entwistle who's a a leg locker himself. Do you feel like the technical acumen of leg locks in MMA is declining, um, or roughly the same as it's always been? I think um, it's. I think you basically have, you know, three big name leg lockers in mainstream MMA, you know, not counting all the Japanese guys, really. Uh, you know, you had Polaris, you had Marcin Held, and you have Entwistle, right? Those are the guys that everyone would say, oh, they're, they're, they're big circuits, leg locking people. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, I mean, now that Polaris is banned and he has his own issues, obviously. Um, I mean, it's, there's just not a lot of people trying them in MMA. Uh, and there's not a lot of highly skilled leg lockers in MMA yet. Uh, I actually recently cornered uh, a training partner of mine in an MMA fight, and he finished a beautiful inverted heel up 30 seconds into his fight. Um, you know, I just think the level of technique is not there yet for people to be confident going for leg locks the way they are going for triangles or arm bars in MMA. I also think the whole, you know, well, your two hands are on his leg, he's going to punch you in the face. You know, if you try to punch a good leg locker in the face, it's actually a lot harder. I mean, just go put boxing gloves on, have someone put you in an Ashagrami position and just play with your base. Try to hit him in the face. It, it's hard. It, you know, um, Gary did a famous experiment we all always quote with his students. They had a bunch of gloves on, you know, average white belts and blue belts. And the people on bottom put the guy on top in an ashagrami position, a leg locking position. And the goal for the person on top was just to hit the other guy in the face as many times as they could in five minutes. And the results of the experiment was pretty impressive. That The guy on top really was having a hard time hitting the person on bottom. Uh, that being said, you certainly can't go for sloppy leg locks in MMA. But I actually think the reason you don't see more submissions in MMA in general 
is how MMA fighters train. Um, as someone who's, who has trained with gloves on uh, a few times, uh, being a submission guy on bottom is rough just in training. Like, if we train together in MMA and you're on top of me, I'm playing close guard, even if I catch you in a triangle, I probably ate a bunch of punches on the way there. And, you know, over the course of training every day, ultimately I think people are conditioned to just play a safer game on bottom, not not necessarily going for submissions because you eat punches all day if you do that. You know, you're going to eat a little bit here and there. Um, and I think it's the same thing with leg locks. MMA fighters have a lot of things to concern themselves with. And the leg locking game is very intricate and, and time-consuming to learn. So I think that's why you don't see them more than anything else. You know, it just takes a lot of, uh, you're going to eat a lot in training if you're, if you're going for submissions. And on top of that, it is just a very large uh, sort of barrier to entry in terms of developing that skill to finish a leg lock. If we discount his inability to let go of a submission and all the issues <laughs> he's had, is Husamor yeah. Palharis the best leg locker in MMA? Yes. Why? Because uh, he can actually finish those outside helix very, very well. Um, you'll see Held run into some issues. Held can finish some leg locks, but he has some hard times at some of the guys who are willing to take pops and breaks. Uh, he has a hard time following through on those breaks. Polaris's breaking mechanics are the best in MMA by far. We've taken a lot of our game from his breaking mechanics. Um, you have to make an MMA, people aren't going to tap. I mean, at the high levels of grappling, people aren't going to tap. Uh, it's just understood. So if you don't have the actual mechanical ability or intention to, to severely damage the leg, you're not going to be able to finish people. And Polaris has those breaking mechanics. Um, and you definitely need that. More, more, he has them more so than anyone else, I think. Um, but yeah, he's got other issues, and I think his... Uh, his actual leg lock game isn't as sophisticated as we uh, initially thought uh, after watching the J.H. Shield fight, uh, uh, who we trained with a bit for the Polaris fight. What, did you, what, what do you mean? Uh, just he didn't have the transitions. He didn't have the entrances. He has a good finish, but if you challenge him to transition after defending his initial attempts, he really doesn't have good answers to that at all. Rather, he doesn't have any answer whatsoever. And he has some core setups, but he's not, uh, that's all he has. He doesn't have an understanding of how those stuff work. Um, at least that Shields fight, I think, really showed us that. All right. Eddie Cummings, uh, best of luck to you in Brazil at ADCC. We'll, of course, be watching. We appreciate your thoughts, and thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Take care. Take it easy. Bye.